0: Right. well, we're going to go right into Scripture. Um, we're going to be reading from the letter to the Romans. Found, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to go to verse 7. It says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God Who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read these verses one more time for you to really hear the scripture. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God including you who are called to belong to to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the absolute privilege and joy that it is to gather together as a people, to come under the authority of your word, to hear you speak And we pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, help us to hear and understand what you're saying to us today. Meet us, God. Glorify yourself. Holy Spirit, empower us, strengthen us. Illuminate the word of God. Glorify Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Today we begin a sermon series that in full disclosure, um, is not an easy sermon series. In fact, it was a funny thing I shared uh, with a pastor friend of mine that this is a sermon series we were going to begin today, a sermon series preaching through the book of Romans. And he said, why would you do that to yourself? Um, Because what he was trying to convey is this. If you're not aware, the book of Romans has been considered the cliff notes of the Bible. In other words, if you understand Romans... You actually get a firm understanding of all of Scripture. And so naturally, we're going to get into some dense content. And so it's not an easy book to preach through. It's not an easy book to study. It takes some intentionality. The other reason why he was kind of saying, why are you doing this to yourself? Because he knows what you'll find out very shortly. Romans has some very triggering verses. Um, Some of the most contested difficult verses in scripture that society wrestles against are found in this book. And so you may be asking, why are you doing this to yourself? Why are you doing this to us? Here's why. Because in light of the season we just celebrated Holy Week as we looked at the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection, what we looked in these moments, what we uncovered is the essence of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. And even though we're all growing in our understanding of what those events mean, what the crucifixion means, what the resurrection means, we still need some more in depth searching, understanding. To plumb the depths of this will take a lifetime. And there's no book quite like the book of Romans to help us truly understand. What the gospel means. What, what the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, what does that actually mean? Why is it important? What does it mean for our lives? And so what we're, the theme of this series is applying good news. Applying good news. What we're going to wrestle with is what does it look like to apply the good news of Jesus to our lives as we look at the book of Romans. And the first thing I want to draw your attention to is found in verse 1. Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Could you say those words with me? Gospel of God. Gospel of God. All right. Just, just in case you were afraid to speak in church, I'm going to give you another opportunity to do that. I'm giving you permission. No worries. Gospel of God. Could you say it with me? Gospel of God. All right. This is an interesting phrase, and actually it's a very important phrase, because what Paul is trying to get us to understand is that in Christ, God has declared good news. That's what gospel means. It means good news. But it's we're still not actually at the essence of what it means until we actually wrestle with it a little bit more. We have to understand that The combination of those words, good news, are very significant in that even the idea of news, I think we often miss the fact that the telling of news is always past tense. Why do we miss that? Because we have 24-hour news cycles. We constantly have stories flashing before us. And reporters will come on and say, this is happening right now. If it's happening right now, then you actually can't tell us about it. The only reason you're able to tell us is because it's happened. It's something that has occurred, and now you're retelling it. And so for us, it's important to understand that Christianity is not a good idea. It's not just some good concept, even though it has good ideas and it has good concepts. Christianity, the essence of it, is a retelling of something that has happened. And this something that has happened, God tells us, is good news. So we're getting closer to understand that until we have to add another layer of it. In ancient times, during the time that this was written, there was a practice that when a warring king or a general defeated their enemy, there was someone that was entrusted, a herald, and they were entrusted with the responsibility to declare to the towns, victory has been accomplished. They proclaim the gospel, the good news. And so what we have to understand when Paul says the gospel of God is that God is declaring victory over enemies. Isn't that good news? That God is declaring victory over enemies. That there are enemies that are set against God's agenda, his purposes, and God is declaring victory over them. And so our faith rests on the power of what Jesus has done to accomplish this victory. And so it's not self-help. Our faith is not about you helping yourself. It's really about divine rescue, about God coming to rescue us. He's done something through his son, and it's the retelling, the proclamation of that. That is the good news of God. But here is the bad news. The bad news is that the enemies that God has won victory over, we are part of those enemies. Some pretty bad news, right? The the temperature in the room just completely dropped. Like, oh. Scripture actually tells us, if we go to Romans 5.8, it says, while we were still enemies... Christ was crucified for us. Now, I know this is kind of hard to process. You're like, I got dressed up. I looked good. I took a shower. I looked clean. I came presentable. To hear you tell me that I'm an enemy of God, this is offensive. This is not what I came to hear. It, we need to understand something. To be, it doesn't mean you're not a good person. It doesn't mean that I'm not a good person. In this room, this room is filled with good people. Good people who are nonetheless enemies of God, according to Scripture. Because what does the Scripture tell us is that Romans chapter 3, verse 23, a verse we'll spend time with, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 1, which we're in as we continue to go forward, is going to tell us that creation itself is in direct opposition to its creator, What scripture is trying to tell us by us being enemies of God, it means that deep inside, inside of us, we are bent and set against, even though we may not intend to, it's in us, we are constantly set against God's purposes. We resist God's will for our lives and in this world. People say, I can't believe in God. Because there's evil in this world, and yet it's evil, it's people that are creating evil in this world. It's us that are the perpetrators of it. It's us that are marring creation and bringing brokenness to a, a, like an exacerbating point. It's us that's doing it. And so, another way of, of kind of understanding what it means to be an enemy of God, according to Romans... And this is bad news. Even though we just heard good news, this is the bad news that's in the good news. That God, though he loves us, though he came to redeem us, to rescue us, he also lets us know very plainly and lovingly that we are set against his will. The very people God came to rescue are the very people that oppose his will. Have you ever seen videos of someone doing a deep sea dive rescue? Maybe someone has capsized over a boat and they're being like brought in through a helicopter and dropped down and they're trying to rescue this person from drowning. And do you know one of the first things they often have to do? They have to knock the person out. Why? Because as they rescue them, often they're clawing at them, they're pulling them down, they're fighting their own rescue. When I see videos like that, it's a powerful image of what we often tend to do, where God in his overtures of love and he's reaching for us and he's trying to rescue us, we're constantly fighting his very grace as he tries to rescue us. And so when Romans says that we're enemies of God and it gives us the bad news of the gospel that you and I are set against God's will, it's trying to tell us something that's difficult to process but very sobering and true that we are in need of rescue. We will perpetually be in need of rescue because we are perpetually in a posture of resistance to the one who's trying to rescue us. I'll tell you one aspect of the bad news of the gospel that was difficult for me to accept, and that is that I will never measure up. That was one of the most difficult aspects of the good news. I was okay with God telling me he loves me no matter what. I really liked that part. But the part of, oh, but also you will never measure up on your own, I did not like that. Perhaps you can relate. It's kind of like, do you remember the experience when you were young? Perhaps you went to a theme park. And there was a roller coaster, and you wanted to get on, and you were all excited, and you run into to the roller coaster, and then you were met with this sign that says, you have to be this high to get on. I don't know if, about you, but when I was a kid, I was determined. I was like, next year, I'm going to be taller than that sign. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to drink a lot of extra milk, do whatever I got to do. I'm going to sleep when I'm told to. I am going to be that size to get on the roller coaster. I'm going to measure up. The bad news of the gospel tells us we will never measure up. We'll never be that tall to ride. We'll never, we'll never meet the standards, the perfect life that we so desire to live, the obedient life, the surrendered life. We will never do that on our own. Why, even though this feels like a Debbie Downer moment, like, oh, this this is really depressing and sad, but this is an important thing because unless you and I understand the bad news that's in the gospel, you won't understand the good news in it. You won't understand how glorious the good news is because you and I will walk around thinking that we're actually better off than we really are. God will offer his rescue and we'll think it's an optional thing. Say, you know, maybe if I get to it, maybe if I find room in my life for God's gracious offer, maybe. You know, I'm busy right now. Once I finish this project, God, you got my attention. We'll think it's an option among many rather than actually realizing if I don't reach out and grab the hand that's being extended to me, I drown. I'm utterly in need of the grace that's being extended to me. This is the bad news that we need to face in order to appreciate the good news. You know what show I've realized is actually quite amazing that it's still airing after so many seasons? The Bachelorette. I don't know how society keeps watching this show, and some of you are like, Be careful, Pastor Chris, that's my show. Don't mess with it. Just work with me because here's why it doesn't make sense why it keeps captivating us. Let me save you a whole season of time and tell you what's going to happen. A beautiful person is going to pick a beautiful person. (gasps) Wow, I didn't see that coming. That's the greatest narrative plot twist I never would have seen coming. Oh, my gosh. In a world that that doesn't happen A multi-million dollar broadcast and show has been designed to take my breath away and give me the most unexpected story. No, that that storyline doesn't surprise us. We see it all the time. The excellent, the well-achieving, the powerful, the good-looking, the wealthy. They're always chosen. But imagine... A bachelorette season where the person being chosen has unbelievable traumas, has incredible debt, doesn't have their stuff together. They can't successfully go through one of those dates. There's nothing appealing and attractive to them by earthly standards. And at the end of the season, the bachelor says, I choose you. That would take our breath away. That would say, didn't see that coming at all. That's essentially what God has done. He's chosen us. People who are broken beyond our repair, our ability to repair ourselves. People who don't have it all together. People who are passed up, rightly so people who are the least likely to be chosen. He chooses us. And you and I won't realize how glorious that is unless we face how broken we are. That we don't have it all together. And I know... In this room, there are people that are incredibly accomplished. you worked hard. You have your degrees. You've gone to great schools. you've, You've like solidified something. So it's hard to hear, wait, I don't have it all together. I've been working my whole life to have it all together. Spiritually speaking, none of us have it all together. All of us are in need of rescue. And we can't rescue ourselves. When we face that truth, in our singleness, in our marriage, in our careers, when we face the truth that nothing is going to fill the void, that we keep trying to fill with all these things, when we face that truth, all of a sudden the good news of God's love is magnified. We see its full beauty because we reckon our full brokenness. The good news of God, the gospel of God, But then I want to draw you to a phrase that's here that actually most scholars say might be one of the most important phrases that's found in the book of Romans. And that is the phrase that's found in verse 5. Look at what it says. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Obedience of faith. Why is that so important? Well, let's get to it. Unfortunately, the gospel, the good news of God, is often only partially understood. We tend to understand parts of it rather than appraising the whole. And if we understand parts of it, the obedience of faith, if we break that phrase up, it actually helps us to get a clearer picture of what I mean by understanding parts of it rather than understanding the whole of it. So sometimes we find ourselves, we either understand the faith part of that verse, obedience of faith, or we understand the obedience part of that verse. We tend to understand one part or the other rather than both at, at, at the same time. So let's look at what it looks like. What does it mean to understand obedience without faith? And this might help you identify where you're at. If you understand obedience without faith, then what your walk with God probably is looking like is that you are, rather than trusting in the sufficiency of Jesus, and standing on his perfect obedience, you're trying to stand on your own obedience. And so that means that in your relationship with God, if you obey, then the relationship is good. Right? It's like I obeyed, I read my Bible, I was kind, I forgave, I didn't give in to my base or instincts, so then my relationship with God must be good because you are obeying And your relationship with God is based on your obedience. Unfortunately, for us, that's unbelievably unsustainable. You can get away with that for a day, maybe have a good three-day stretch, maybe even give you a month, even though I'm not fully buying it, Um, a month where you're just obeying perfectly. Now, now you realize what that means. That means that you weren't uh, gossiping when you had the opportunity to. Uh, you weren't elitist. You weren't consumeristic. You weren't selfish. You weren't um, vengeful. Uh, you weren't like impatient with someone. Do I need to go on? Uh, like literally it's Uh, Again, everything is good if you obey perfectly, but the problem is we can't obey perfectly. I can tell you, I could be the most prayerful person in the world. And often, so my office is in the top floor of the house we rent. So I feel like I'm very close to God right there, right? I'll pray, I'll read the Bible, and I'm feeling amazing. Come down. The kids are acting up. Say, don't do that. Choose better. <laughs> and they're like, wow, dad, that's amazing. Yes, I know. My wife will come with me, something stressful, and be like, there's no need to stress. Peace be unto you. You know, like, <laughs> everything is fine. I'll get in my car, start driving. New Yorker will cut me off. I'll say... That was unwise. Why are you in such a rush? I pray for you. That lasts maybe two hours. And then something happens. It's like, I'm done. You know, and then that's it. It's <laughs> boom. Like, you no, know, you stop now. Oh, you want to run? You know, like, like it, it's, it's there. If I could obey Perfectly. It'll be fine. So That's what happens when we try to obey without faith. We're trying to obey on our own strength, white-knuckle it. We're trying to let everything rest on our ability, capacity to get it right. And maybe we do for some time, but at the end of the day, it will be insufficient. You cannot rest your life on that in perpetuity. Eventually, you'll have your moment. But let's just say, let me draw a crazy hypothetical. Let's just say you never crack. Let's just say from now to the last breath you have, you live perfectly. At the end of the day, that perfect, obedient life, every single second was spent by you saying, I got this, God. No, no, you don't. No, I got this but I came to rescue you. I sent my son. You really don't got, I got this. This was given for all humanity. My redemption is for all, not for me. So what sounds like real strength and amazingness, oh, I want that. What you're really saying is I don't want to be dependent on God. So obedience without faith is not a great situation, but some of us, We're on the other side. We have faith without obedience. What does that look like? That looks like this. God loves me unconditionally. Can you say amen? Amen. Oh, come on. Say amen like you mean it. I just said something amazing. God loves me unconditionally. Like, let that sink in. There's nothing you could do that could ever change God's love for you. That is biblical truth. God's never going to love you more than, than he loves you now. And you'll say, man, but I'm struggling. I don't have it all together. Don't I have to have it together and conquer this for God to kind of really love me more? No, he's never going to love you more than he loves you now. At your worst moment, in the lowest pit that you find yourself, God's love is still rich and deep and vibrant, and it's not turned down. It's fiery toward you, and it will never increase or decrease depending on your obedience. That is good news. However... To trust that and think that that means we don't have to obey is very misled. Obedience is the proper response of a grateful heart to God's redemption. The living God would rescue us. Obedience is the least we could do. The obedience of faith becomes possible when you and I believe in the sufficiency of the faithful one. You see, Jesus calls us to obey him. The world will perpetually be fractured and won't experience his redeeming love unless you and I Grow in obedience. You know what our world is crying out for in so many instances? is someone that says, I'm going to love my neighbor as I love myself. Someone that says, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to lay down my rights, my need to be right and to have the power and have the control. I'm going to live sacrificially. I'm going to follow the example of Christ. And yet, repeatedly, what do we see happen? People say, nope, I'm not going to love my neighbor. I'm going to look out for myself. It's about me. And what happens to our world? It perpetually gets broken and broken and broken and broken. What our world desperately needs is the obedience of followers of Jesus. You know that the world needs that. Your, your, your office needs that. Your company needs that. Your industry needs that. Your family needs that. Your relationships need that. And so if you and I, our belief in the gospel is just reduced to, I believe God loves me no matter what, and that doesn't translate into obedience. It's incomplete. Just as much as we try to obey without trusting and relying on the sufficiency of Jesus' obedience. And so what God is trying to do is to bring us to a place of the obedience of faith. Where both of those things come together. Together. Where you obey Jesus because of Jesus' obedience on your behalf. He empowers our obedience. We rest on that. But we rest on that constantly reminded that even when I obey, and this is amazing news, even when you obey, God will not love you more. You know how liberating that is? I, I Recently, I came to recognize that I have met arguably one of the least stressed, free kids I've ever met in my life. And it's a friend of my daughter. This girl lives like the world is her oyster. It's, it's actually very poetic to watch. Um, she just enters every room she enters in. She kind of assumes she owns it, you know, just like... I'm here, you're welcome, you know, kind of environment. And I'm just like, where does this come from? And then I talked to her mom. And her mom described the incredible push that her parents had on her and her siblings. Like her brother's incredibly accomplished. Her other brother's incredibly accomplished. She's a doctor herself. uh, And her parents were immigrants from Ireland. And so they came here, they had nothing, and they pushed them. How many can appreciate immigrant parents that push you and and don't? Um, But also how many are still, like, seeing a therapist because of that? But anyway, and so you know the dynamic, the tension. And so out of her mouth, she said, she will never feel the need to be anything other than what she feels God made her to be. She's never going to get that kind of pressure from me. And I thought, man, that's really kind of how God invites us to obey him. Obey me as you trust in my sufficiency, but know that I'm never going to treat you differently based on whether you obey or not. So all all that's before us is joyful obedience that's infused through the sufficiency of Christ. This is the good news of God. And we're invited into this. As we close, I want to invite you to consider a few things. For one, have you believed the good news? Have you believed the good news? But not just believed in a once and for all kind of thing. Are you perpetually, continuously believing the good news, the good news that God has come to rescue you that also includes the bad news that you need the rescuing? Do you believe it? Do you let that inform your life? Does that shape how you treat others, how you treat yourself, how you relate to God? Where do you, how do you assess your understanding of the gospel? Are you trying to obey without faith Are you trying to have faith without obedience? The gospel calls us to have both. And Jesus makes that possible. As the worship team comes forward, I want to invite us to stand. And as we prepare to close, I want to encourage you over the next several weeks as we dive into this incredible book in the Bible to spend some time in the book of Romans. I would encourage you to read at least chapter 1 by the end of this week. And even as you finish chapter 1, you'll be very quickly acquainted with like, oh, we're going to get into these things. Yes, we are. So pray that we have ears that really listen and hear what God has to say for us. This is, this is I'm believing and trusting that coming off of Holy Week, that as we dive into these scriptures... That God is going to empower us to understand the riches, the fullness of what Jesus has accomplished for us. The good news that's found in God alone. The good news of God. And how powerful would it be if you and I become people who walk in the obedience of faith. We trust in the sufficiency of Jesus and we obey from a place of gratitude, empowered by what he's done. Could I invite us if we could bow our heads just for a moment. As we close to pray, the prayer team will be in the back to my right, to your left. And at any given moment, you can slip out of your seat and go and receive prayer. For anything you need prayer for, any of the words that were shared earlier, anything the message might have stirred for you, I'd love to pray with you. As we sing in these next few moments, you can slip out of your seat and go and receive prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your good news, the good news of your rescue, of your redemption. Even even though that good news has some bad news that we have to wrestle with, the bad news that we can't rescue ourselves, that we're not sufficient, that we need the grace you're extending. Help us to fully believe the good news and to be transformed by what you've done. Let's worship God in these next few moments. Let's turn to him. Let's bring our prayers, our songs before him, our confession before him. Let's encounter the living Jesus. He's here right now as we turn to him.